listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. Father, I thank you for your word and the promise that this psalmist goes on to say that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. And then commanding all creation at the end, the angels and the authorities and everything in the earth to praise and bless the Lord. And so we're here this morning to do so because you are our foundation, you are our rock. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved, your word teaches. And so, Father, we run to you this morning. We run to you as we look at your word and it speaks to us about uh, being husband and wife, about being male and female. And as we open this this challenging text, but yet one that is so uh, just practical and and just where we're at, I just get I just beg of you to fill me with your spirit. So that your name is exalted, Lord Jesus, so that marriages function and picture the gospel, uh, so that we proclaim you in our lives, not just in our, our worship service, but yet just through everything we do. And so I can't do that because I'm just a broken man, uh, but you can. And so I just pray you would do it through me for your name's sake. Amen. Thanks. You guys got a seat. And I, I, I came across, somebody sent me this video this week. And I I thought, you know what, this is very fitting for where we are at in Ephesians. And so I'm going to show you a little video, see if this rings true a little bit, and then we'll jump into our text. (laughs) If you've related to that conversation before, uh, you you understand what that's like, right? Um, And we've been talking a little bit about marriage, and uh, last week we started kind of laying a foundation, and in Ephesians 5, Paul is going to be very specific about some things, but we didn't go to Ephesians 5 last week, where we went was Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we laid a foundation for the things we're going to be talking about today, and the foundation was, was we left it up here, was this, number one is that your marriage and your life and your identity is found in, in Christ and Christ alone. And everything else flows from that. And as we build this foundation for marriage, we saw in Genesis 1 that God created male and female equally in His image. Both reflect His glory and, and both are equal. But yet chapter 2 taught us that there's a, there's a divine order in, in God's creation where He creates the man to be the head. And together with the helper, His wife, who is a, a person of strength, an enabler, they are to lead and govern creation. Right? And they're to steward it. But then we saw in chapter 3 that the serpent comes in and he tempts. And because of the fall, there are implications. There are core kind of temptations that both male and female now face. The, the, the men have this tendency to be passive and to sit back and just do nothing. Right? And that is a tendency from the fall. We saw it in Adam. And, and Eve, she was independent of God and she was independent of her husband. She wanted to take things into her own hands. And now there's this pull for ladies to be independent of the, of the authority structure God has laid there. Independent of their husband. To pull away and try to master. Right? And, and knowing those core temptations and knowing equality in the image of God and knowing there's a divine order, that's when we come to Ephesians 5 now. Because we said we got to build a when we build a house when we build a we start with what the foundation we don't pick tile first we don't pick cabinetry we don't pick colors now we laid the foundation now we can pick some tile let's see what it looks like as today we're going to discuss some core responsibilities let's see what it looks like to to have this this this, this marriage that that pictures God but more than that that brings contentment and joy some of you think oh marriage is not about being content and happy. Yes, it's about being holy, but God desires for you to have joy in your marriage. He desires for you there to be intimacy. He didn't create this thing to make people miserable. He created it to, to experience that intimacy and joy that the Trinity in, enjoy with one another in fellowship. And so let's look what the text has to say. And Mark, I can't get my thing to connect, so you're going to have to do the slides up there for this one, okay? All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. 
right? And, and there's a core responsibility for both men and women. We're going to look at them, we're going to talk about them, and we're going to unpack them. And I'll speak to the ladies first, and I'll speak to the, to the men second, because that's what Paul does. And so in chapter 5, verse 22, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, and a couple things about that. Number one, he starts off by saying, wives. So husbands, he's not talking to you. All right? He's not saying, here, I, you need to, here, I'm going to help you with this, honey. This is one command I'm going to help. He is speaking to the wives. He says, ladies, wives, submit to your own husbands. Right? And, and this idea of, of submit which has a negative connotation, but let me kind of unpack it for you a little bit. The Greek word is hupo, tasso. Two Greek words, huper and tasso, put together. Huper means under, tasso means to line up. And so a literal, kind of very literal rendering would be to line up under. The, the, the idea here and the voice of the command is it's in the middle voice, which means that you are to, for yourself, you are to line yourself under the headship of your husband. It is a voluntary action, understanding that you are equal, but understanding that there is a divine order. So you would align yourself under the headship of your husband to place yourself as to the Lord. And that doesn't mean that he is the Lord. That doesn't mean that he functions as the Lord even. It means that you, your obedience to Christ, your following of Christ, your honoring of Christ takes place when you line yourself up under your husband's headship and authority. And he tells us why in verse 23. Explanatory word, hati, means that or for. Because that for, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself a savior. Why should you do that? Because your husband is the head of the family, Genesis chapter 2. Just like Christ is the head of the church. No, and we're, no one's debating if Christ is the head of the church. No one is saying, oh, we should have a vote here. Who should be the head of the church? No, God has said Christ is the head of the church. And he has said, just like Christ is the head of the church, just like there's order in the church, just like there is order in the Godhead, there is order in the family. Has nothing to do with equality, has everything to do with order, because God is a God of order. So he says, the husband is the head. That's why you place yourself under. And then the application, verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ... As the church follows Christ, as the church is under Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right? It, it, so it's, it's not, there's not, no secret exegesis here. It's, it's very plain. God has created the husband to be the head, to lead. We'll look at his responsibilities in a minute. But ladies, you're to voluntarily place yourself under his headship. Now remember your core temptation is to pull away from it. To, to, to be independent, to act, to act. No, 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 I don't want that. And so he has to say, no, no voluntarily, as to the Lord, place yourself under His headship as His, as his equal, as His essential counterpart, partnering with Him. And so the core responsibility for ladies is to submit to the headship of her husband. Is, is to place yourself under the headship of her husband, to partner with Him in that way. Right? And, and, and let's talk about what that is and what it isn't, because that's where, that's where everything gets all messed up. And just let me just say it right up front. If there is abuse, physical, verbal, whatever it is, this is not saying just put up with it. If there is abuse, you call the police, you call the elders, you, you, you deal with it in, a, in that way. This is not a call to just suffer at the hands of some, some mean jerk man. Okay, this, that's not what's going on here. So if that's the case, you come talk to the elders, and, and if it's some sort of issue that we can deal with, great, and we'll call the cops if need be, and we'll help you. So just understand that up front. I'm not saying just suck it up and drive on, ladies, just because, God, you're honoring God. That's not it. All right, but, so let's talk about what it is. And I kind of have five things here, ladies. And again, we're talking to the ladies here. Guys, you're invited in on the conversation, but this is for the ladies. Number one is this, is that submission is good. Right? And, and when we say good, it does it, I say that and I start there because the culture says, no, 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 it's not good. But here's three reasons why it is good. Number one, because God tells you to do it. And because it's truth. And, if the tr and Jesus says the truth will set you free. It's God's desire to set women free. It's God's desire not to cramp them, not to keep them, you know, kind of just penned up. No, he wants you to be creative and nurturing and, and enablers of your husband and powerful and your strength. And it is a good thing. It is good. Paul is not some chauvinistic pig. In fact, in his day, he would have been considered uber feminist. 
Why? Because women in that culture were considered less value. They weren't considered reliable witnesses in court. They were considered as property. And he says in places like 1 Corinthians 7, Husbands, you don't belong to yourself. Your wife is the owner of your body. And vice versa. He says in Galatians, there's no more male, female, Gentile, Jew, slave. All are in, in Christ are one. There's, there's equality. So he is trying to elevate women to their proper place. Getting them out of here where they're treated poorly. That's what the Gospels do. Who's the first people to see Jesus alive? Those who are considered unreliable witnesses. Women in that day. Right? And, and if you were trying to prove a resurrection, that's not where the, the Scripture writers should have gone. But that's what the Spirit does. Why? Because in God's eyes, equal. And so Paul is being very radical for his day and saying, no, no, no. And he's going to tell the husbands, you need to love your wives as your own self. So this is not God being a chauvinist. This is not Paul being a chauvinist. This is Paul elevating women to a great place, right? A place of submission. And, and our culture only sees it as negative because we see authority and position as value. And that's just not a biblical model, right? There we get this, everyone gets this and, and almost every other asset, every other factor in pol, polit, politics. The politician is not more important, but he has been voted as the leader. The teacher is not more important than his, their students, but someone's got to lead. Everyone who plays sports in the huddle and the QB's making the calls. He's not more important than the left tackle because he's guarding his blind side. But somebody has to lead. And for there to be leadership, someone has to place themselves under leadership. For there to move forward, someone's got to submit. All right? And if you want to see submission in action, next time you get your parking ticket at Tybee, because it's going to happen, all right? And you go to pay that thing down at the judge, go try this one. You can't make me pay this. We're equal. And you can see submission in action, all right? You can see equal, but different. All right? But if someone's going to lead, Someone has to defer leadership. So it's good because God says to do it. And anything God tells you to do is good because he has your best in mind. It's also good because it's actually a divine attribute. Think about it. Everyone thinks love is a divine attribute. It is. Joy is a divine attribute. Guess what else is? Submission. Because Jesus models submission. Being obedient to the point of death. How many times in his life did he said, I do not speak on my own authority. I speak what the, God has said, what the Father has told me. I've done everything the Father has told me. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the model for submission. It is a divine attribute. And if he doesn't submit, the Father's plan was not fulfilled. And so you are following Christ and you are modeling a divine attribute in submission. And the third thing, the third reason it's good is because submission is the way to exaltation. Philippians 2, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Very next verse, therefore, God highly exalted him to the, to the place, the name above all names, right? Submission came before exaltation. And that's the way it is. And that's opposite of what the world would say. But how many things that we believe the scripture teach are opposite? If you want to be rich, you're poor. You want to live, you have to die. You want to lead, you have to serve. You want to be safe, you have to get out of the boat. You, it's better to give than to receive, right? The way to exaltation is through submission. And so it is a good thing because it is a Christ thing, right? And ladies, as image bearers of God himself, you have the high honor. And don't let anyone tell you elsewise. This is a high honor to reflect Jesus Christ, your Savior, through partnering with your husband in submission. And when you do, you deny that core temptation, sorry, snake, of pulling away from, from, for God is best for you. All right. So number one, it's good. Number two, and this is brief, but it's not personality. Submission is not personality. Somewhere along the line, you know, if people are quiet, they're submissive. And if they're loud and have an outgoing extrovert personality, they're not bogus. Right. You can be the most quiet person in the world, the most inwardly rebellious Right? This has nothing to do with personality. It has everything to do with a disposition where I am placing myself under my husband. And it will look different in different contexts if your husband's a believer, if he's not, if he's an introvert, an extrovert, all those things. But understand it has nothing to do with personality. So if you see someone over there laughing in the life of the party, oh, they're just not submissive. That is a wrong judgment. All right? And so just understand it's not talking personality. Number three, it also doesn't mean you're to submit to all men. Again, the verse says wives submit to who? To your own Husbands. All right? it's, it's not just a men are in charge of everything. Like I have a daughter. 
And the last thing I would ever tell her to do is just obey all men. Why? Because in our culture, men, for the first time ever, are less likely to get a job, less likely to get a driver's license, more likely to mooch off their mom and their girlfriend, less likely to go to college, and certainly less likely to go to church. And what kind of thinking would it be? Say, just listen to all men. That's how we get this, this abuse and degradation and denigration of women. The context is to your own husband, husband and wife, period. That's what he's saying. Okay, in that context. And those kind of extremes that you see, it leads to thinking in the church like, and you see this, y'all. I'm telling you, maybe you never heard this, but you see this thinking, well, women should never go to college. That's absurd. Women should never have jobs. Who said that? Have you read Proverbs 31? Who, this lady is known in the gate and she's a seller and she's up early and she's buying a vineyard and she's selling this. She's engaged, right? And she's making a name for her family. Look, my goal is to raise my one daughter to be a godly, competent, intelligent, well-educated woman. And if God allows a man who's worthy of her to marry her, so be it. Right? But it's not to just keep, oh, we're just going to keep him at the house. And so just, just get married off at 12 years old so we don't have to pay for college. Right? Right? It, it, it's silly. Now, it, it, yes, it, to be home with children is a high value and priority. Titus chapter 2, we've dealt with that before. But that is not a, a woman's entire identity. Her identity is not in being your wife and is not in being a mother. Her identity is in Christ. And that is a role that God has given her at that time. And it is a high role. But again, read Proverbs 31. Look at some of the women in Scripture. Lydia, a settler of purple. Dorcas, who is known for just being, just a, she's the craft queen. Right? And she's just giving away her things. Aaron's sister, Miriam. All right? And so understand, this doesn't mean you know, just follow all men. No. Follow her husband. Follow Christ. Next thing is this. Submission is, in submission there is a free exchange of ideas. What I mean by that is this. You don't walk up to a wife and say, well, what do you think about this? She doesn't look over her husband. I don't know. What do I think, honey? Oh, she has her own ideas. She is the helper. And we looked at this last week, and if you weren't here last week, you really need to go back and listen to it because we unpacked that. But the word helper, it means she's the essential counterpart. There's a strength implied. There is wisdom. He cannot function without her. Just as the believer cannot function without the Holy Spirit, his, the husband cannot function without the wife. She has insight that he doesn't see. And those who are married know this. That she has her own ideas and thoughts, and they are quite often not the same as yours. And that is a good thing, because it guards you and it protects you, right? Because she's the essential helper. And so, just what you need to understand, ladies, is that when you bring these ideas to the table, I read a great comment this week from Chip Ingram, and and he worded it great. And and you can write this down, and you can go back and search the sermon online, because he's got it. But you need to understand the difference between stepping in... And stepping over. And the difference is huge. Because when you step over, what happens is a man naturally will, will pull back and cower. And he'll, and he'll go right into his tortoise, tortoise shell. He'll be passive. But when you step in, honey, have you prayed about this enough? Honey, I just I don't have a good feeling about this. Honey, when you said this, when you did this in this way, I love you. But I don't think that... See, it's a huge difference. It really is. And learning to step in and speak truth... Because when you step over, you might as well just fire up the Rocky theme, hand out popcorn and peanuts to the kids, and there you go. Crazy cycle is going until someone gets off, right? Because no, and nothing gets accomplished. And so the difference between speaking truth, and it doesn't mean you don't never say anything, and we'll get to that in a minute. And husbands, if your wife is speaking truth to you, you would be very wise to listen. Because God has given her as what? Your essential counterpart. Your strength. She's the helper. She's the one that enables you to accomplish what God has called you to do. And you partner together. Right? And if it comes to a point, and this should be very rare indeed, but if it comes to a point when you both cannot come to an agreement, ladies, it's at this point after you've shared your insight, after you've prayed for your husband, after you've been loving towards him and said, this is what I think, you just place yourself under his headship and you just let God deal with that knucklehead. Right? And if he goes off, you're, you are in obedience to Christ. And God will deal with him if he is wrong. And you can be affirmed that you are in the right and you have been following Christ. 
And, and this doesn't say mean you follow him into sin. This doesn't mean you follow him into unrighteousness. Because if that is the case, you follow Christ. Just like Daniel did and so many in the Old Testament. But even in that case, there can be this, a disposition of desiring to, to your husband to follow and lead in righteousness. It can be done in a respectful way so that he does repent and he comes back. So there's a free exchange and an invited of ideas. And next, and probably I think the most important, is that through submission is the most powerful, powerful way to change and influence positively. Not only your marriage, but the culture. Somehow submission has become this, I'm quiet and I don't say anything. And, the, and, and that is not the biblical model. That's not what he's talking about. The fact that she is the helper, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the helper. Is the Holy Spirit quiet about when there's issues going on and leading and comforting? He is absolutely not. He is not passive. Submission is not some passive sit back. It is proactive. It is creative. It's energetic. It's co-laboring together. Again, just look at Proverbs 31. This woman who her husband trusts her. She speaks truth. She speaks wisdom. She speaks kindness. She's known in the gates. Her husband rise up and call, her children rise up and call her blessed. Why? Because she's a woman of influence. And there is an assumption, ladies, that you will influence your husbands positively. 1 Peter 3 says that you are to win your husband. Even the non-believing husband is won by his wife. By her behavior. So you are called to be a woman of influence. Right? And it is a powerful tool to bring about positive change. But let me just say this. This is huge. No man was ever won positively. No man was ever won positively by domineering, by aggressive action, by manipulation, by the silent treatment, by nagging criticism, by quarrelsomeness. The only thing he is influenced towards is passivity, not positive. And a quarrelsome, a quarrelsome person, the Proverbs speak very clearly about it. It says a quarrelsome wife is like a constant drip. Have you ever tried sleeping with the leaky faucet? Plunk, plunk, plunk. After an hour, it's like boom, boom. They, they torture prisoners of war with leaky faucets. Right? That's the idea. And so some of the husbands, they read the Proverbs and it says, it's better to live in the corner of a house than with a contentious woman. And they, with more fervor than ever, are ready to apply the Word of God. And they're getting the tent out and the sleeping bag and the ladder and they're ready to move up on the roof. Right? And so the the idea here is, you're not going to win him through that model. Right? That doesn't mean you ignore his flaws. In fact, I think if you ignore your husband's flaws and you don't speak truth into his life, you don't really love him or respect him. Because your desire as his helper is for him to be a godly person and be more respectful. And since you're the one that sees him better than everyone else, you're the only one that has that ability to speak that truth into his life. So you need to. You just need to do it in a way that he doesn't shut down. Because here's the way men are. Men are just designed. We need respect all right it's just something in our core that just desires respect it's something powerful about just for a young boy to hear his daddy say i'm proud of you and something rises up in a boy and he will take the world on and he'll feel like yes my dad is proud i can do it and and just feeling a little bit of respect and so we're just we're we act tough ladies but we're not but we have these respect tanks, as, as Emerson would say in his book, Love and Respect. And if you would just make little deposits. You're looking strong today, honey. I know. Look at that. Right? I appreciate when you did that, honey. It was great. Love you, honey. You, you would be amazed how, how, how simple we are and how that will mo- motivate us. And drive us to lead and love just with a little deposits here and there. And God has gifted you ladies with a mouth. And you, you and I think the statistics are like, you have like 30,000 words every 30 minutes or something that you use, right? And these, this, this mouth that you have been given by God has an incredible ability to, it's an arsenal to build the kingdom of God and to build your family. And you build into other people, but it has the same potential to destroy. And, and if you do not fill your husband's respect tank, here's the, here's the reality. He's out working, 
and he has authority somewhere and he has a responsibility and someone is telling him that was a good job you did in that project. I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And they're following him and you do not want them to fill his respect tank because that is the guy who works 97 hours a week because he gets respect there, but he gets none at the house. And so he doesn't want to come home where he's over, you know, he's, he's leading men into combat out there. He's leading platoons and he's leading, you know, whatever in his place of work out there. And he comes home and no one listens to him, including the dog. Right? And so you want to be sure you are purposely filling his respect tank. Not fighting this battle of attrition where you, you keep going until one of you quits. Because he will quit and he will go into his shell and you will win. But that is not the key to positive change. Right? God's way, through, through partnering with him, through encouraging him, through helping him, that is the way. Look, the feminist movement has got it all wrong and they have done nothing but destroy our country even more. And if you don't believe me, pornography is up, divorce is up, women are objectif- objectified more than ever, date rape is up, sexual harassment is up, everything. What has the feminist movement done? Being independent of everything. It has done nothing but destroy the family. God's design is there is equality, but there is divine order. And the best place for you is to trust God and putting yourself on your husband and encouraging him to lead, right? Right? To lead. It's a place of influence. Another area of influence, think about this, is you are, ladies, you are the one, if you have a family, that you are the one who establishes ultimately order in the house because you have authority, but yet you're under authority. And where do the kids take their cue for respect from you? And so if you are disrespectful to him, your father, they will be. Just like if he is unloving and, and uncaring to you, they will be. They will get their cues of respect from their mom. Because you have this unique ability to establish order in the house, right? And, and, and if you continually disrespect him, especially in front of him, you put him in a lose-lose situation. If he fights back, he's a jerk. If he doesn't, he's weak. And most likely he's just not going to and he's going to go into passivity right so so when you guys disagree and you will just be respectful of one another try to go in the room don't 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 slam each other in front of each other because your children will see it and they may not do it when they're five wait till they're 17 big difference all right and and just finally one more admonition and this comes personally is just be patient with your husbands because let me just tell you we're slow we're slow been married 15 years and I'm still doing the same stupid stuff I did. And I'm doing a little bit less, I think, maybe. I mean, that, that, that part about in the video about fixing, how many guys just want to go in and fix all six things their wife just told them. And she doesn't want you to fix anything. She just wants you to sit there. Right? But we just want to take the nail out. If you just take the nail out. Right? But ladies, just be patient with us. Our intentions, I promise, are not bad. We're just sometimes a little slower. And so just life change is not an overnight thing. Sanctification takes place over a lifetime. And it's living in covenant together where you see that life change, all right? So, and again, I don't want to ignore the singles because I know that we have a lot here. And even though the statistics say you're going to to be married, some of you may not, and that's fine. Because that's what God calls you to do. But if you are pursuing marriage and you are thinking one day you're going to be married, ladies, very simply, look for a man that you can respect. Look for a man that you can own his cause and partner with and do life together with. Because if you don't respect him now, you're not going to in 25 years. Right? If he's not respectable, if he's playing 73 hours a day of Call of Duty 3, and he's living in his mom's basement wearing wrestling pants from the 80s, (laughs) then you probably want to go somewhere else. I don't care how cute he looks in skinny jeans. All right? He won't look cute in 25 years in skinny jeans, right? Look for a person you can respect. Doesn't have to be perfect because he's not going to be, but someone who you can respect. All right, let's talk to the men. All right, enough for the ladies. We, they, they're probably not the problem anyway. It's mostly the men. So what does God tell the men? The core, the core responsibility of the men is very simply is to love as Christ loved the church. 
is to love as Jesus Christ loves his church. In fact, six times in verse 25 to 33, he mentions the word love. And where our core sin is to sit back and be passive and do nothing, God says, no, 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 you cannot be passive. You must pursue, you must love, you must go like Christ went. And so verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. All right, so that's the main command. And, and he's going to tell us three big picture ways of how Christ loved the church in this next section. Right? And it's kind of where we'll, we'll get some of our application points and I'll highlight them. And again, it's not difficult exegesis. He's very straightforward. The first way Christ loved the church is what? Is that he gave himself, the rest of the verse, he gives himself for her. He lays down his life for his bride. Number one way you, are, you love your spouse, men, is that you are a giver. You, are a, you self-deny. You, you self-sacrifice. Everyone's seen the video of the guy at the baseball game, and the ball goes in the air, and he dives which way? Out of the way and lets his wife get hit with the baseball. And everyone says, what a weak person, right? Why? Because there's something that's just natural that you're supposed to jump in front of the ball. And if you're a real man, catch it, right? (laughs) You don't get out of the way. You sacrifice. You lay yourself down. Love gives. Jesus gave his life. It doesn't demand to be served. Never once do you see Jesus demand to be served. He serves. Never once does he have to establish his authority. It's there. He doesn't say, you have to follow me, disciples. They follow him, right? He gives of himself, his, his object of his love, he, he wants the best for them. He is extremely, extremely devoted and faithful to his church. No matter what, there's none of this, well, I didn't expect cancer to come in here. Well, I, I wanted kids and she's infertile. Well, her parents, they're, they're a bunch of knuckleheads. I'm out of here. No, he is devoted. He is a giver. He gives himself. Men, God has not given you a list of rules and boxes to check. He has given you one of his daughters to love. And not love what you think she should be, not love what you want her to be, to love what she is. That is what he has done because Jesus does that for his church and he gives himself. And if you want to know what you love, look where you spend your time, your energy, your money, your sacrifice. What do you sacrifice to? What do you give to? It shows your love. You say, I love my family. I love my wife. If you say, I love my wife and I love my family, and you're, you you got your new golf clubs and your new computer and your new boat and your new all these things, and she's still driving a 1974 Pinto, and she's wearing bell bottoms not because she likes them, but because she hasn't bought new clothes in 30 years, you say you love her, but you don't. Follow the money. Like, and, and your wife should be a priority even in the finances especially, I learned this, I'm trying to still learn it, is that you should, she should get something new, not you. you. You should give her a day out. You want her to look nice? Ladies, you ought to look, try to look nice. If you, but if you want that, you give her money so she can have a day at the spa or whatever they call the thing, yeah, right? And I know they're uber expensive. We get cuts for 12 bucks, theirs are 1200 I understand that. <laughs> I realize that. But if the last time she got her hair done was when the beehive was still in style, it's a problem. Right? That's a problem. Right? Give preference to her. All right? You lay down your preferences. That means every man should watch at least one time Anne of Green Gables all the way through. It's not just your movie. You go where she wants to go. You should have to... Yesterday... it went to Tuesday morning, a store that all men should have to go to at least once a year, right? But you're, the point is you're laying down your preferences for your bride because you seek the best for her. You give her a night out with the girls once in a while. You give her a weekend away if you can, where you are taking care of the kids and you realize what it's like, right? You're laying down preferences. You say no to things. Men, say no so that you can come home and eat dinner once in a while. It ought to be a priority. We have our respect tanks. They have their love tanks. And you need to daily put 
deposits. We have, I told you before, this vacation fund jar. Put change in every day, and when we go on vacation, we cash it out and give the money to kids. It's amazing what a couple pennies and dimes after a year, it's 80 90 $100. And that's the idea with this love thing. Just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Maybe once in a while you throw in a buck, a little bit more. But it, how much that, how far that goes when you will deposit and be active, like Christ is active in pursuing his bride. You are a giver, right? That's the first thing. But that's not it. Verse 26. He gave himself, why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's regeneration by the spirit. And that's the gospel. He cleanses her by those things. So that he might present to the church himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Just listen to those words. And holy and cleansed and and regeneration and, and washing. And splendor. There's this idea of he wants her to be holy. He wants her to be pure. Right? And so if you are loving your wife, then you will be the pastor to your wife. That's the second thing. That you are a giver, but you are a pastor. You are a shepherd. Jesus cares for the soul of the church. He nurtures it. He makes it a priority that he is walking in purity and with Christ and that then she is, that you will know your wife's spiritual condition. You can't control it, but you can certainly pray for her and know where she's at. That you lead the family in a spiritual way. That you lead in truth. Don't let her be the disciplinary. If you're home, you're the disciplinarian. You don't let her be the one that gets everyone ready for church. That Maybe we should go to small group. That you do that. That you read to the kids. That you take them and teach them biblical principles. It's not that she can't do that, but you take the lead. You are engaged with the family as the head. You're the pastor. If you know your 17-year-old daughter is dating a guy that's not good, you're not, well, she's going to do what she's going to do. Who am I? You're the dad. You're the head. You go, honey, I love you. It's my job to take care of you, and so I've broken up with him for you. (laughs) Right? You're the head. You don't make her take care of those things. You know what's going on with, on whose computer, on whose iPhone. On, you're playing 007 all the time, guarding the purity of your family. They say, you can't do that. Yes, I can. Uh-huh. I pay the bills. My iPad. My home. My internet. Right? There we go. Because you're the pastor of the family. Buy good book. Buy your kids good little books that they can read. Buy your spouse good books. Not on how to be a good wife. Certainly not on how to get exercise or something like that. Do not buy that book. All right? Let me just pastor you through that right now. Books that will shepherd her souls. Books that will nurture her. All right? Encourage her. And, and, and initiate in conflict. You say, well, it's not my fault. She always does this. Wasn't Jesus' fault either, but he leaves heaven and becomes a savior and he pursues his church. Don't blame. You may be 2% wrong and she's 98%. You own your 2%. You practice repentance and humility first and you pursue. That's what Christ does. Is that easy? No. But see, these commands, which you have to understand, is they're not reciprocating. They're not, if he does, then I will, and vice versa. This is, ladies, regardless of what your husband is, this is what you're to do. You're to follow Christ in this. Husbands, regardless of what your wife does, you are to love. And let me tell you, Jesus loves the church through all the nastiness and grime and filth. Right? That is what he does. And so that is the model. You love unconditionally everything. You walk in purity. A wandering eye is the greatest, greatest nemesis of, of being a pastor in your family. Guard yourself from the, just, the, just being bombarded about images all the time. Cultivate faithfulness. Right? And if you're single, again, you guard the ladies, you guard that woman you're dating. There should be no walk of shame while she slept on the couch. I don't care. She shouldn't be on the couch. She should be in her apartment. And you shouldn't be. Right? You guard her reputation. And quite honestly, single guys, I'm tired of hearing, well, we just keep slipping up. What that tells me is that you don't care about her purity. This is what it tells me. Is that you care more about nurturing this and you don't care about her purity enough that you will end the relationship until you can guard her. That's what it tells me. Right? And ladies, if that's the guy, 
you, you might want to step away right now and, and push him towards some godly men that will encourage him. Don't you be, I want him to be a leader. And maybe at the same time, he's trying to leave at 1030 because it's wise. And you're like, no, just stay 30 more minutes, please. You can't have it both ways. All right. And so it, it's got to be both of you pursuing Christ. And, 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 you know, single gals, or if you're dating a guy and you just, oh, I can't break up with him, call Pastor Kane. He'll break up with her for you. All right? <laughs> he, he loves that. Where are you at? I'll give you a cell phone number. You can break up with anybody you want. <laughs> He's wicked at breaking up. All right. He loves by being a giver. He loves by being a pastor. And the last thing, verse 28 in the end of the chapter. In the same way, again, in the same way as Christ... In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, if you love yourself, then you'll love your wife. And everyone loves himself. So, no, I don't love myself. Yeah, you do. Even people who purposely hurt themselves ultimately love themselves. The reason they're hurting themselves is because they, it somehow releases pain and they want a release from pain. And so because they care for themselves. What do you do? When you're hungry, you eat. When you're tired, most of us go to sleep. You walk, you walk into the grocery, you want Oreos, you buy Oreos. You meet your needs and your desires because you love yourself. It says, no one ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes it and cherishes it. And here's the key phrase, just as Christ does the church. What does Christ do? He nourishes his body. He, he cherishes his body. Why? Because we are members of his body. The church is his body. So he nurtures it and he cherishes it and he nourishes it. And when you love your wife, you are a nurturer of your wife. Go to Lowe's, you buy a plant and you flip over the little card and it says, part sun, Water every other day, whatever, temperature this, right? And you, you know that this is how I'm to care for this plant. This is how I'm to take care of this plant, to nurture it, so it's to grow. And that's the way a husband should see his family and his spouse. Here's what, here's what she needs to grow and flourish. Here's how I need to feed. Here's how I need to nurture. And it requires that you know your wife, that you're a student of your wife. 1 Peter 3, that you are to live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, the Greek text says that you live with her according to knowledge. What your wife needs is for you to be her friend. That's what she needs. And what friends do is they spend time together. They enjoy each other. They have conflict, but they work through it together. And they're there. That's what friends do. Right? That's what a nurturer does. Single guys... Single ladies, don't marry someone you can't be a friend of. I mean, if you're a Phillies fan and they like the Braves, you cannot do that. That does not work. <laughs> Find someone you can enjoy to be with, that you talk to. And be a student of that person. You learn, this is good, this is bad. This is, this, she doesn't like it when I try to fix everything. She wants me to listen. Notice things about her. When you're out at a store and she says, oh, I really like that. Try to come back and maybe if you can afford it, buy that for her. Right? Notice where she likes. She likes to get her hair done here. She likes to get her nails done here. Okay, I'm going to get her a gift certificate to that. It's nurturing her. It's cherishing her. Great book that some of you need to read to know by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And where he basically says everyone kind of has a primary love language. Know what your wife feels most loved when you do this or that. Right? If If she's a... Physical touch, if she's uh, words of affirmation, and so that you can feed that love tank. You're nurturing, you are, you are feeding that and cherishing her in that, right? When you know your wife, it means you understand that she is female, you are male. There is a difference. She's not like you. She wasn't supposed to be. She wasn't created that way. She is different. And if you're, you know this if you interact at all. For a guy, we compartmentalize. We can go from work, boom. We go to church, boom. We go to do, we get, walk the dog, boom. Do the yard, boom, boom. We separate it all. Bills, do, do, do. We can just compartmentalize, put that away, put this away. For ladies, nah, uh Right? Somehow, I don't know how, a visit to the vet is, equal, is in the same camp as dinner getting made, as buying that wedding gift, as brushing the teeth, of taking the kids over here, of going to church. And they're all interconnected somehow. And so she can talk to a lady... And go on a 75-minute discussion and hit all those topics and end up back at the beginning and the lady is tracking. She's like, yeah, I get it. And a guy's like, wait, did you say something about brushing teeth? Where where, where were you? (laughs) 
You have to expect and understand that male and female different. And when you know that, you won't expect her to be like you. And if you expect her to be like you and she's not, what happens is you get bitter. And so Colossians 3 says, don't be embittered against your wife. Why would you be embittered? Because you expect that she's like you. You expect she functions like male and she's not called to. She is that precious flower. You are a pine cone. All right? She is like fine china. You are the Tupperware. And that's the way God created it. And so you, how do you treat the china? You don't put it in the dishwasher. You don't let the kids touch it. And you only eat it once in a while. And you wash it by hand gently. That's it. You put it on a shelf. You elevate it. That is cherishing. That is nurturing. And, and what I did... And I and and they're probably scared, but don't me. I asked the all all the elders and all the uh, the pastoral staff. I said, ask your wife this week. What's how do you feel loved and how do you feel unloved? Give me one thing that's just kind of an example because I want to be practical. So what is it that makes you feel loved that your husband does? What does it make? And and they came back with a list. And here is um this is firsthand real stories, y'all. These are not made up. These are from firsthand information from godly women with. Moderately decent husbands <laughs> of how they feel loved and unloved. And more than one occasion, I will say this, it was surprising to me. You'd be amazed how much communication has to do with this. On more than one occasion, by more than one of these men, their wives said, when he, when he gives me his undivided attention, he's not playing with his phone, he's not watching TV over my shoulder, he's not reading something. When he just sits there and talks to me and there's no other distractions, I feel loved. That's a big one, I think, right? Um, Because for a guy, again, understand, guys, for us, we think hanging out means closeness. We can go out with our friends, not speak one word for four hours. We come home, our wives ask us what? What'd y'all do? Well, we did this. What'd y'all talk about? No one actually spoke. (laughs) And you'll feel like your best friends. That's not how women function, all right? There has to be talking, There has to be talking and communication. So set time apart for you to speak. Turn off the TV. Where you're unhurried, where you can listen, where you're not trying to solve, that you're not trying to fix, that you're just listening. Go on a date. Right? We talked about dating your wife. In regards to date night, some of the ladies said, I like it when my husband takes me on a date and they take care of child care and they take care of picking the restaurant. I don't have to do anything. No, just where do you want to go? I don't know where you want to go. I don't know where you want to go. I don't know. All right, we end up at Sonic. Uh, which is not a bad thing. After uh, after eight, shakes are half price, y'all. Surprise your wife with things that you don't normally do. That was what one wife said. C.J. Mahaney, who's pastor of uh, Started so- uh, Sovereign Grace, he says he looks for opportunities every week to surprise his wife. And one of the things that, uh, in regards to speech that some of the ladies said was, when he is short with me, when he is insensitive with me and makes comments... I feel unloved. One elder's wife, I won't say which one, said when he is sarcastic. (laughs) Another person said when they feel when their husband feels like they're on the same team, when they're engaged, when they're going somewhere together, when he's when he's not when he's out doing his own thing and doesn't involve, doesn't talk about what's going on in their lives, when they're not pursuing it together, they feel unloved. But when that person is home and helping the kids with homework and doing engaged with things at home and doing some of her responsibilities voluntarily and taking that load, that there's love there. Someone said that when they just take time to hold me and, and rub my shoulders and, and talk with no expectations, just doing that, they feel loved. Right? Here's the, here's the thing. Each person's a little bit different, but if you're married, you need to ask questions, even the hard questions. That This is just a discussion starter. Like, we can talk about marriage for years. This is a discussion starter for you and your spouse to say, hey, how do I make you feel loved and unloved? How do I make you feel respected and unrespected? That's what we want. And because we want, even though these commands are not reciprocal, that doesn't mean it's not easier, husbands, if you are loving and giving yourself to your wife. How much easier would it for her to be to follow you if you were laying down your life for her? Yeah, it's, they're not reciprocal, but how much easier is it when both are functioning that way? When he is loving, when she is respecting. It, it's a beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be. And that's where you're going to find joy and contentment and satisfaction. Not from getting your own thing, not from going out and getting your career or whatever it is. 
And the reason it's so vital is where he closes the text. Let me just close with this. He says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We looked at this last week. This is Genesis 2. And then it's this great statement. This mystery is profound. This two to one is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He reveals through this New Testament passage that marriage is a picture of what Jesus and his church look like. The husband lovingly laying down his life for the spouse. The the wife putting herself under the headship of her husband. It is a walking picture of not only the Godhead and the unity and diversity there, but of the gospel itself. So that's why it's so important. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of Christ and the church. And what does Christ and the church do? They make disciples. What does the husband and wife do? They make little disciples. They're both picturing the same thing on a larger scale. That's why it's so important. That's why we start here. Building upon the foundation of Christ. Right? And so when you partner with each other and, and fulfilling the roles God has called and, and denying those core temptations... You picture the gospel. And look, I realize, and I'll close with this, and I'll ask the team to come out because we're on the late. So you're probably just going to be able to do two songs, sorry. Um, when you are functioning this way, it is, is a glorifying picture to God. And I know some of you are in struggles. I know some of you are on third marriages. I know some of you are, there's conflict. I know some of you want to be married and you're not. Look, this is not a broad scope. We can't cover every facet here. But I know this, wherever you are at... Wherever you are at, because Christ died on a cross and rose again, there is hope. And life change is never fast. It's typically slow. But there is always hope for wherever you are at. And you think, I feel very alone. You are not alone. You will never be alone, Christ promises. I feel unloved. You will never be more loved than you are right now by Christ. Never. I don't know where I'm going. Christ does, and he leads by his Spirit. And so if you have no hope and you feel like you have no hope, let's go back to this. That Christ died for sins and rose again. That he loved his bride. That he purifies his bride. And that he he presents his bride as holy and spotless. That is where the foundation and the hope is. And you think, I don't know if I can go one more day. You can. On the authority of Scripture, you can. You just... Wherever you're at, you draw near to Him. You pursue Him, regardless of what the other person is doing. And that makes it hard. But you pursue Him, Christ. You delight yourself in Him. And you'll be amazed how He will give you the desires of your heart. Be amazed because you're delighting in Him. That's my invitation to us this morning. Let me pray uh, and we'll worship. Stand with me. Father, we thank You for the beautiful picture of marriage which you've given to us to reflect yourself. And Lord, it is a great privilege and it is a great challenge, but yet one that you have given us the power to, uh, to proclaim you through. And so I just pray for husbands and wives, future husbands and future wives, even those who are single, because they will be encouraging those who are married. Lord, that you would be glorified in our marriages, that there would be just, just forgiveness and grace and love, that men would lead and love, that ladies would, would encourage their husbands by placing themselves under. And in the end, that you, Lord Jesus, would be glorified. For your name's sake, we pray.